Good afternoon, everyone, or I guess it might not be afternoon when you're listening to this, but it's afternoon when we're recording. Um, welcome to the Under Further Review podcast with Burke and Jen. I'm Burke. I'm Jen. And uh, we're glad to be back with you after a uh, long hiatus. Um, we meant to have a pod for you before the holidays, but that now lives out in the ether along with, I think, a couple of our other lost pods. Um, it's actually not that bad. I think <laughs> including the one that we recorded right before the holiday, I think we're only missing that and one other one. So it's just two out in the bad. ether. Yeah. Um, so you missed our thoughts on our favorite stories of 2017. And I feel like there was some reality TV show craziness that I know at least one of our listeners really enjoys, <laughs> but we'll have that for you today. So fear not. Um, new year, same shitty men, uh, to dive right in. Our first story is, I'm talking about Dr. Larry Nasser and, uh, his recent guilty plea and sentencing, um, for child pornography and the, uh, hundreds or I guess nearly 200 victims who, um, came to speak at his, uh, sentencing about the abuse they suffered at his hands. For those of you who haven't been following this story, um, which is super terrible, Larry Nasser was uh, employed by Michigan State University and also worked with the um, United States Gymnastics Federation uh, doing basically orthopedic osteopathic work with athletes. Um, in the course of that work, he uh, sexually abused in excess, I think there have been a hundred, I want to say around 190 victims who've come forward. Yeah. Well, so yes. Um, and 156 women made the, uh, victim impact statements. Yeah. Including, um, four of the five members of the fierce five, um, women's gym, U S women's gymnastics team that won the gold medal in 2014. Um, or no, sorry, 2012. And, um, I think three of the five who won um, with the final five in 2016. Yes. So it's been, there's been a lot of coverage um, about this because of how endemic it was and how widespread it was. And then it has morphed most recently into the failings of the United States Olympic Committee, the Gymnastics Committee, and Michigan State University. Um, and I don't know that we're necessarily going to go through the entire story from beginning mm -hmm. to end, um, because, you know, you can always pick up a episode of Outside the Lines with Bob Lee <laughs> or any of the numerous articles written about this, um, you know, in, in newspapers and other online publications. Um, but there were probably a couple of things that we just wanted to point out um, about this whole thing that were... I don't know, interesting to us, but at least that sort of created some sort of conversations between either Burke and myself or like our friends and, and things like that. So I think the thing that stood out to me the most um, is that there was actually a lot of stuff going on in here. So it's not just um, this criminal conviction for the, the child abuse, um, which was centered, uh, I can't even remember her name, like, is it Rachel? Who's the person who... Um, oh, Rachel. Uh, was she... I think... So the story... I guess one one note, the story has been kind of a long time in coming. And one of the things that jumped out to me about it is that not only was it so widespread, but people have been talking about this for 
years, years. and mm-hmm. no one did anything about it. And I believe that it's Rachel Den Hollander. Right. She's the one who filed a criminal complaint against him. She's the one who sent the email to the to Indianapolis Star, Star in um, August of 2016. So that is the criminal complaint that he was just sentenced to 175 years for. But just a few months ago, he was also sentenced to 60 years for child pornography charges um, related to like 37,000 images that were found on his computers and um, in you know data files that he had access to. And included in those are videos of him actually abusing children. Great. So, and I think, Ugh. yeah, so, and I think there's a third criminal complaint um, that he is also involved with. But at this point, he is um, basically has been sentenced to 225 years of jail to be. 235. 235, yeah. 235 <laughs> to be served consecutively. <laughs> I did not know that. Yeah. So, quick note um, sometimes when people are convicted of um, crimes that result in these super long sentences, even when they have shorter sentences, you can be sentenced to serve your time concurrently or consecutively. Concurrently means like all of the sentences kind of run together. So let's say you were convicted and sentenced to 10 years on three different crimes. You'd only spend 10 years in jail Um, consecutively as, I mean, you can probably figure this out if you know what the words mean. Uh, Consecutively (laughs) means once you finish serving one sentence, the next one starts. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, that's real aggressive by the, Sentencing judge, although if anyone has seen um, Judge Aquilina uh, and her speeches in court with respect to Dr. Nasser, that wouldn't surprise you. Yeah, and in fact, actually, the child pornography um, hearing was uh, before Judge uh, Federal Judge Janet Neff um, in the Western District of Michigan, who is where it's seated in Grand Rapids, but he, it was 20 years for... Upwards of 20 years for each count. She gave him the maximum for each, the three main counts, and then they were served consecutively. So that's how I got to the 60 years. And then he's got the 175 years on top of that. Um, But I think one of the other things that we were talking about is how having like a week of victims coming in and giving their statements is not Mm -hmm. necessarily a super usual thing um, to happen. Right. Um, so, and, and it does seem to stand in sort of stark contrast to what was a pretty famous, uh, story from, I think last year, but maybe it was 2016, uh, convicted rapist Brock Turner, who went to Stanford and was sentenced, um, to six months in prison. I think he served three for raping, um, a woman on the Stanford campus, Stanford, not Stanford, um, And uh, there, while the victim was able to um, submit a written statement, I don't think she read it in court, um, it seemed like the focus was much more on the impact on Brock Turner's future, whereas in this case, um, Judge Rosemary Aquilina, um, who's a state court judge in Michigan, was very focused on giving these victims their day in court to get to speak right to Larry Nassar. Um, I don't know... And perhaps it's because there are not that many people who have hundreds of victims. Um, But I don't know that I've ever seen something like this where anyone who wanted to come in and speak Mm -hmm. would have that opportunity. And so many folks availed themselves of that chance. Yeah, it was um, really striking. So in the sort of the aftermath of the Larry Nassar, as Burke indicated, this has been going on for so long. And 
people have come forward and made allegations against Nasser going as far back as like 1997. Wow. And uh, which fell on very deaf ears at um, Michigan State University and uh, with the U.S. Olympic Committee or the gymnastics part of the U.S. Olympic Committee. I don't yeah. I, I don't mean to conflate the two because I think they might be there's a separate gymnastics organization. Yeah. And so something I feel like we're jumping around a little bit, but I guess sort of the the consequences of um, for folks who sort of oversaw Larry Nasser's reign of terror and what has happened to them. Um, the USOC, U.S. Olympic Committee, um, issued a letter to the U.S. Gymnastics Federation mm-hmm. that listed a whole bunch of things that they had to do if they wanted to remain the governing body for U.S. gymnastics, including that the entire board needed to resign within like three days of the issuance of the letter. All of them did, um, which I guess is a credit to them. It seems like they're. We're, we've seen uh, people pushing back when they are try their 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 attempts to hold them accountable, but in this case, the board all stepped down. Um, there are a series of other things that are uh, in that letter, but that was the one that I think got the most news coverage because it was quite dramatic and very short, really short time frame. When you said that uh, people t- uh, sometimes push back, are you talking about the MSU chancellor? Well, yes, <laughs> okay. we'll get to her, okay. Anna. Yes. Um, yeah, so <laughs> uh, in addition to U- the USOC um, seeking to hold USA Gymnastics responsible or accountable for um, not doing anything about Larry Nasser, the pre- I guess she's the chancellor. I, she's, I think she's the president. president. Um, Luana Simon uh, of MSU, Michigan State University, resigned this week um, and gave the world's worst resignation speech that basically like a head had to roll and so i guess it's mine i guess it's mine and it's like bitch please i you know it she everything about her handling of this situation just drives me crazy because i look at when so i guess you take a further step back (laughs) there were so many layers a series of Maybe not a series, but there were, I think, multiple complaints made against Larry Nasser to Michigan State University, mm-hmm. and they um, engaged in a Title IX investigation of his conduct. You can go back and listen to our um, podcast with our very special guest, Allison, talking about the Title IX investigations process. Somehow that investigation found that he did nothing wrong, even though he was molesting young women mm-hmm. at Michigan State. And Luana Simon, when she found out about this, took a very like legalistic approach. Just be like, I know nothing. I'm not talking about anything. I'm staying out of this. And it just now, I guess in the moment that we're in, like it feels like we've been doing it all wrong. Mm-hmm. Like that, I get, I sort of get where she's coming from, where she has to be the sort of... Um, a steward for the university and has to act in the university's best interest. But I don't know how you divorce that from the damage that is being done to your students in order to like hide from the reality that you have a predator on your staff. And she has never admitted that um, there was anything bad going on here. There was a letter so the a, a series of victims have filed civil suits against Michigan, Michigan State University. Mm-hmm. She, I believe, was had signed off on, again, a very like legalistic letter saying, like, well, we've asserted all these defenses. It's not that we don't believe these people. You know what? Like, don't fucking fight them. 
find a way to settle this, get it out of the, get it out of the public realm, like just pay them off. <laughs> no one is denying that any of this happened except for you. And mm-hmm. why the fuck do you care? You haven't been there that long. Like she's been there since 2005. Oh, she has been? Yeah. What? In that position? Yes. Oh, all right. Yeah, so I, because when I first heard her, like, super defensive posture, I was like, well, maybe she hasn't been there that long, so it doesn't land on her desk. And then I looked, I'm like, no, it does land on her desk. Oh, interesting. For some reason, I thought that this whole thing started to blow up right after she got her job. And so I was like, why are you not just saying, like, this was not done under my watch. Like, (laughs) we need to support these women, give them whatever money they want, and Mm -hmm. make this all go away. Yeah, she's also, she was apparently in secret meetings, not so secret because I know about them and <laughs> I'm not like a Michigan State insider, but with Betsy DeVos, who is a goddamn monster. And um, we don't need to talk about that, but apparently this is, I'm putting my tinfoil hat on, I will acknowledge that, but I guess there was something about the timing right after Betsy DeVos met with Luanna Simon, um, the U.S. Department of Education issued... Uh, a oh, notice rolling back, back a bunch of Title, Title IX, IX yes. protections. So so one of the things that um, did jump out at me about the Title IX thing, and I just read an article about, uh, I think it might have been like the Detroit News or the Detroit Free Press basically saying that this uh, complainant in against Nasser, in her Title IX report, a bunch of stuff had been redacted. So just to be clear, mm-hmm. um, People who are engaged in Title IX investigations or any kind of workplace investigation, you as the complainant and even as the person who is the subject of the complaint might not necessarily get the full report. Right. There are lots of overriding reasons why you might get a redacted version, an excerpt, or an executive summary. And I'm not saying that what they did here in the Nasser situation is anyway right, but in terms of the individual getting a redacted report, that doesn't necessarily mean that there was some sort of cover-up sure. involved. It's just there are people who they might have interviewed witnesses that mm-hmm. might have some protections of their own um, because of their participation in it. And in this case, because they found that Nasser actually didn't violate any of the school's rules, which just, again, is astounding that yeah. they didn't, um, because they found no wrongdoing um, you normally wouldn't get a copy of the full report unless there's like certain under special circumstances or what have you. But having a redacted report is not in and of itself with some sort of cover up. It might be, but that's just not like the signal. Like there's something greater here. I mean, obviously here there is something greater, but not necessarily because of that right. redacted and report. I, I wonder, I guess a question is how, Will that, because I I do think that uh, like the Indianapolis Star has done a tremendous amount of work on this story Mm -hmm. and um, submitted a lot of FOIA, Freedom of Information Act requests. Mm -hmm. So they, as part of that, they would probably get a redacted copy of lots of things. Mm -hmm. Um, But if the, as part of the civil suit against Michigan State, I would think they would have an argument that the plaintiffs would have an argument that they should get the The full report, report, Mm -hmm. which um, I mean... I don't know how you find this guy engaged in no wrongdoing, and I would love to read that report and how the, how they came to that conclusion. How they pretzel twisted themselves into he didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. Um, yes, it's and especially when you're dealing with um, issues like sexual assault and sexual abuse, um, there are other privacy concerns related to it, and 
I'm also going to go out on a limb and say that if they interviewed people, I'm hoping that they did, um, <laughs> maybe several of them are minors as well, right? That could so, be, sure. Um, so anyways, uh, that was one of the things that sort of jumped out at me that people were instantly like... There's got to be a cover because yeah. there was a redacted yeah. report. Yeah. Okay. There was a whole bunch of other stuff that Michigan State was covering up, so... Right, and it's um, the... I believe the editorial board of the Michigan State student paper um, wrote, drafted an editorial that was supported by, I think, all but two members of the board, um, and it didn't explain why they didn't participate in the vote, but demanding that um, President Simon resign, which she, of course, eventually did. Um, Not willingly. <laughs> no, but basically saying, like, this is worse than Penn State. Um I do think it's more widespread than what Jerry Sandusky was doing, um, but I, I just don't I don't think know how he, you can quantify yeah. which is worse than the other. But <laughs> no, um, that would be like if you went to a Penn State victim and said, "No, this is worse." I I don't know that you wouldn't get punched in the face. No, but, but Jamel Hill um, has done Jamel Hill, who is a uh, she was an anchor for um, Sports Center. I believe she is recently resigned um and is now working um for a different espn the undefeated the undefe yeah is that but she's also still going to be on some tv shows i think mm -hmm. anyway but the point being is that um she is a michigan state alum and wrote i thought a really um good opinion piece on the undefeated about um michigan state meeting to kind of reckon with how they allowed this to happen um because, yeah, I mean, it's not as if this was just restricted to a particular sports team or, um, a, you know, a really small group of people or over a short period of time. This went on for 20 years um, and he had access to athletes throughout Michigan State's athletic department plus the United States gymnastics team. Yeah, and... So along with what is happening with Nassar, there also have been um, not an unveiling, but essentially an unearthing of uh, like 16 other counts of sexual assault uh, related to allegations made against members of the MSU football team and basketball teams um, in the last handful of years, actually maybe going back to 2007, so the last 10 years. Wow. Um, and uh, so Izzo and D'Antonio, the coaches of basketball and football respectively, are having to come out and make statements about that. And Tom Izzo is very concerned that he hopes that the right person was convicted in the Larry Nasser case. It's like, well, first of all, Tom Izzo, he pled guilty. <laughs> so, yes, they got the right guy. Um, and also, like, why? I don't know. I feel... There are folks who, so like at the Golden Globes, sorry, I'm kind of stream of consciousness. The Golden Globes, a lot of men were, or people were criticizing the male award winners for not speaking out about like the Me Too movement or Time's Up um, and like, why aren't you talking? But then when they, a lot of guys do talk, Matt Damon, Tom Izzo, they say stupid shit. And I don't know which I feel better about. Part of me just wishes they would shut the hell up and not respond to these things because they're not being Cause, helpful because invariably they say something where it's um counterproductive yeah. um just on the issue of luana simon's resignation yeah. i just wanted to let you know what some of her uh outgoing compensation is 
uh, just because I want to see you get like <laughs> super mad. So she, upon resignation, would receive a number of benefits, including uh, lifetime free tickets to football games and a 12-month paid research leave if she returns to faculty, which is her right to do. So she, um, so she gets the 12 months of research leave at her current salary of $750,000, and she gets her current salary for the next year and 75% of her salary for the next two years. Um, she... Who negotiated this contract? I mean, this, like, this is a public institution, yeah. and they're paying her over $2 million to go the fuck away. Yes. Ugh. Well, I mean, and I'm not even... The citizens of Michigan should sue. I don't know what the theory would be as I sit here, but that's obscene. Yeah, so, I mean, I'm... It doesn't seem to say in the very, very quick scan I'm doing of this article that it is necessarily related to her leaving under bad circumstances or good. Because um, you know how the, there might be, like, triggers for other things, but this is... Well, yeah, also, if she just quit, why does she get anything? Yeah, that's what I'm sort of curious about. I have a lot of questions about this. Michigan, Michiganders, if you're listening... <laughs> This is, this seems like a real misuse of public funding. Yeah, let's see. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, I think the re the research um, <laughs> grant was the thing that stuck out the most, but the rest of it is related to the ability to get uh, football tickets, basketball game tickets, and um, reduced price tickets to bowl games, and a parking pass for home sporting and cultural events. Ugh. Yeah. Do we think she's going to get a job with the Department of Education? <laughs> uh, Betsy's number two. Yeah. Um, so, anyways, that's a, a little bit of the Larry Nasser iceberg. Because we don't have years to dive deep into everything that has gone on. No, but um, it's. I was glad to see uh, that the judge in this case gave the victims, uh, their, an ability to speak right to Larry Nasser, even though he whined about having to listen to them because it was very hard for him <laughs> to have to listen to all these women make him feel bad. <laughs> I would not be surprised if Judge Aquilina tacked on more days of victim impact statements after his terrible and appalling six-page letter about how they made him feel bad about himself. Right. He literally, after pleading guilty mm -hmm. to molesting children, <laughs> he thought it'd be a real good idea to write a letter to the judge um, saying, among other things, that hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. Yeah. First of all, these a lot of these folks were not women when you <laughs> assaulted them. them. Yes. Um, also... I mean, she listen. That she did. The judge did say some arguably problematic things um, as part of her pontificating about how terrible Larry Nasser was. Uh, but I just at one point she just looks and goes, "This is not helping you," <laughs> which I mean, understatement of the year. But yeah. yeah. Um, so we're gonna move on to our other topics for today, and both of them are sort of NFL related. Um, the first one is that the man who killed uh, NFL running back Joe McKnight in a sort of stand-your-ground um, incident in New Orleans or in Louisiana. Jefferson Parish. Yeah, was found guilty of manslaughter by a jury. Um, 
the prosecutors had been seeking, was it second degree murder? Yes. And got manslaughter. But I think that um, in an interview with the district attorney afterwards, they were they said that they were pleased with the verdict and hoped that um, this provided the McKnight family with a sense of closure. Um, that, they didn't actually say that. I'm just reading that from the subtext of what they said. Well, and they um, they did say that the McKnight family was happy with the pleased with the verdict. I guess no one would be happy about this, but um, it sounds like part of the um, argument and why maybe um, Gasser was convicted of manslaughter as opposed to second degree murder is that there was testimony that was undisputed that Joe McKnight was driving like kind of an asshole at the time of the incident. Um, so the I, I guess the idea being that while Ronald Gasser um, was still the bad, the worst actor, I guess, mm -hmm. um, that maybe it didn't rise to the level of second degree murder mm -hmm. if there was this kind of precipitating event of Joe McKnight weaving in and out of traffic and being kind of aggressive. So... Um, Still doesn't mean he should be dead. But. No. Yes. Uh, so Ronald Gasser, 56, um, he's 56 years old, and a manslaughter sentence carries a maximum sentence of 40 years. So uh, I don't know when he will be sentenced. Uh, March 15th. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, it's unfortunate that it came to that. Um, and it's sort of the thing where I think... Gasser felt that McKnight, who's being very aggressive in his driving, um, sort of responded to it and reacted and, you know, followed McKnight off the freeway. McKnight is the one who walked up to Gasser's car um, right. on the passenger side. Um, and and that's when the altercation happened. But, you know, you didn't, you didn't have to engage him further. No, roll your window up and drive away. Yeah, or well, he didn't have to follow him off the freeway. That's, well, yeah, that's or true. The, like on off the exit that McKnight took, just continue on going where you were going and just leave it the fuck be. Yeah, um, yeah. The prosecutor, the assistant district attorney Seth Shoot, um, in closing arguments, basically said that yeah, McKnight was driving like a jerk. Um, but that Gasser escalated it, viewing the driving as a challenge. Mm -hmm. um, the, uh, one of his quotes was, uh, Mr. Gasser thought that Mr. McKnight had thrown the gauntlet down. He followed him off the exit. That was not his exit. Um, so, yeah, he followed him for some inexplicable reason, maybe to have a confrontation, mm -hmm. which, oh, I don't know, <laughs> man. <It's, laughs> yeah. So, yeah, this whole thing could have been avoidable if Ronald Gasser had done some, like, deep breathing and just kept driving on his merry way and let Joe McKnight be maybe a, a shitty driver. <laughs> <laughs> yes, ticketed for reckless driving or whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, or I mean, he could have, like, called it in. He didn't have to, yeah. you know. <laughs> right. Yeah. But instead, he decided to follow him and then shoot him to death, yes. so... So, very, now very poor life choices. Two lives ruined. Well done, Mr. Gasser. Uh. Um, so, the next NFL story we have is slightly more lighthearted, although maybe it doesn't feel that lighthearted to some of the people involved. But this is actually a super interesting story. Um, former Bears linebacker Brian Erlacher is being sued by his um, the mother of his 12-year-old son. I don't know if they were ever married or... Um, her so when I first saw her name, I wanted to say that her name was Tina, but it's actually probably Tina with a Y. 
Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Because, like, if you just replace the N with an R, it would be Tyra, right? Yes. So I kind of wanted true. to call her Tyna, but I know that that's not actually a name. So... I mean, it could be. I, yes, I guess it could be. So what happened was um, Brian Erlacher and Tina Kara George have a 12-year-old son. They shared custody of, um, I think his name is Kennedy. Kara George also sounds like a made-up last name, but that it does. carry on. So in 2016, um, Kara George was involved. So she and her husband at the time, his name was Ryan, got into an argument. It was like her birthday or something. And he went into her purse and grabbed her gun and shot himself. So there's a lot to unpack there. I'm going to move right on to the fact that the coroner ruled it a suicide. Um, but at the time, Brian Erlacher was um, provided like sole custody of Kennedy um, because of everything that was going on in Tina McCarrie George's life at the time. So she is now suing Brian Erlacher, his attorney, and a reporter for the Chicago Tribune, uh, basically indicating that they are defaming her by making her out to be a killer and an unfit mother, and she is suing them for $125 million. So much money. I know. She's representing herself, so that might explain part of it. Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, literally, I, I don't even know how to, where to start here. Like who, what was her husband thinking? Like, oh, I'm going to make you, you're going to feel terrible. And did he mean to shoot himself? Like I have, I have no idea. A lot of questions there. Um, she apparently thinks, yeah, that. Erlacher, I guess, I can't tell from the way she has phrased this because it's sort of, as I'm reading it, like on the one hand, it makes it, she's making it sort of sound like Brian Erlacher somehow plotted for her husband to kill himself in order for <laughs> Brian Erlacher to get custody of this kid. I think maybe she really means like the publicity around her husband's death and making it sound like she had something to do with it. Yes. I mean, it's fucking sketchy. It is. It is very <laughs> sketchy. And the whole, I mean, so yeah, she is accusing Brian Erlacher and his attorney of plotting with this Tribune writer to make her out to be this this killer. But so she raised a lot of these same arguments during the custody hearing. And I guess according to the Tribune, the article about her didn't come out until after Erlacher was awarded custody. Oh. So it wasn't like the articles had any impact on the custody hearing. So Maybe she, she hadn't thought through before she filed this lawsuit? Well, she is representing herself. Sure. So, yeah, but it's just, it's just crazy. I mean... I think it was the $125 million that made me sit up and notice. And then reading the story, I was like, what? Like, he went and went into her purse and grabbed her gun and then shot himself. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, now this is probably me having grown up in Massachusetts and now living in the Bay Area where there are pretty strict gun laws and I did not grow up in like a hunting culture. Who the fuck carries a gun around in their purse just like walking out in the world yeah. that somebody could shove their hand in, grab the gun and then shoot themselves? I don't know. I mean, I'm, I don't know if her gun was, like, lawfully registered and licensed her. Sure, this yeah. took place in Cook County. Right, and Chicago oh. has really tough gun laws. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. As we hear from the uh, people who assert that we don't need gun control because there's a lot of shootings in Chicago. So thanks, Tina. <laughs> <laughs> Tina. Sorry. 
Um, yeah, so that's, so anyways, that was just filed uh, probably late last month, earlier this month. Um, so we'll see how it, it turns out. But um, And it's just a PSA. Um, so as part of her lawsuit, um, she asserted the atrocities that the defendants, which she misspelled, have mm-hmm. done equates to a modern day lynching and witch hunt. So, yeah. Um, unless you are a person who is literally being set on fire on a stake, like it's not a fucking witch hunt, <laughs> nor is it a lynching. Yes. You aren't, I won't describe lynching for folks, but like that's, that's not what's happening to you. Mm-hmm. Like maybe you're the father of your child is uh, being aggressive in his custody arguments, but like you're not being lynched, yeah. Tina. Nope. She's very upset because people perceive her as a murderer, even to this date. Well, maybe stop talking about it. Like, I <laughs> literally had never heard of this lady until she, she sued, filed this yeah. huge lawsuit. So um, I, maybe Chicago is like a smaller um, area where, well, obviously it is as compared to the entire nation. But like, maybe it's kind of the big city, but it's like a small town and people are always talking about her. I don't know, but... Yeah, um, I'll ask. Like, my sister-in-law lives there. I'll see if yeah. that's been... Basically, the things that are being whispered about is how... Um, how long has Brian Urlacher been retired? All well, I can remember is that he dated Paris Hilton very briefly. Well, he's been retired long enough to grow his hair back, so... That's true. Or undergo treatments, right? So... His hair... That looks like his hair... I've seen people who have, like, plugs, and they all have the same hairline, so mm-hmm. I, th- I think Brian Urlacher's hair might be real. Okay. Um, just because I remember when he played, right. he'd always shave his head. And now, like, when I see him on television, he has hair again. Um, oh, have... no. He had a hair transplant. Oh, he did? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, good for him. Okay. Sorry. It's clearly come a long way. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for that um, unrelated funny uh, trail. But um, those are our three big stories. And... You know, and one of them wasn't even all that big. But uh, for the week, um, shifting over to our three-minute warning, um, I think maybe this Atari story is what we should start with. Sure. So for um, anyone who's listening who uh, was into pop punk and emo and sort of, I guess, the early aughts, um, you may have heard of the band The Ataris. Their biggest hit was a cover of Don Henley's The Boys of Summer. Um, And I don't expect that they're going to be making any new music anytime (laughs) soon because uh, their bassist, uh, Michael Davenport, has been um, accused of engaging in a real estate scam, uh, which I guess in which he and his partner, whose name is escaping me at the moment. Cynthia Rawlinson. Thank you. Um, They apparently um, masterminded this like online fraud where they convinced over a hundred thousand people to participate in um paying them money to get early access to pre-foreclosure real estate sales that weren't actually happening uh they stole uh upwards of 27 million dollars as part of the scheme um and it went on for like seven years from 2009 to 2016 and he, the two of them are facing more than 30 years in prison based on the uh, crimes for which they have been charged, um, including federal conspiracy and fraud charges. So I guess what they would do is tell people, 
We've got a pre-foreclosure sale you can get in early, but it'll be a lot cheaper than if you know you wait for the bank to mm-hmm. do the foreclosure sale. But in order to get all the information about this, you have to give us $200 um, and then we'll send it over to you. Uh, I guess in some cases they actually did that and then convinced people to pick up the mortgages on these homes, mm-hmm. but they never, they thought they were buying the house. That never happened. They would demand refunds. Of course that didn't happen. <laughs> I don't know how this went on for seven years, though. I would think... I don't either. Like, maybe people... I've heard tale of this, that, like, when folks get involved in these kind of scams, like, they're embarrassed and don't want to go to the police. Mm -hmm. Like, they're thinking, how is I so dumb to fall for this? But um, it still seems crazy. Yeah, and I'm not entirely... I mean, and it doesn't... The article, at least that I read, didn't say how many people started doing the taking over the mortgages thing. Right. But, like, $200 is kind of the amount of money where... If you are embarrassed, you're like, I'm just gonna just let walk the, away. Yeah, I'm gonna walk away and just be like embarrassed, but I'm not gonna talk about this or anything like that. I'm certainly yeah. not gonna go to the Better Business Bureau and report them or whatever. Right. But I, but for those people who started paying mortgages, expecting a title in return and getting nothing, I mean. I would tend to think that that would raise a lot of suspicion. And I think, um, so I haven't read the criminal complaint against them, but um, I wonder if they started off with like the $200 scam and then escalated things and that's why they finally got caught. I would imagine that's how you just get greedy. Seems like a progression (laughs) of a crime if you were to do something like that. Um, so yeah, that he left the Ataris in 2005 and rejoined the band for their reunion tours in 2013 and 2014. Shit, he's old. Yeah, he's like 49. I mean, that's not really that old. I just for some reason <laughs> thought the Ataris were much younger than that. But anyway. Well, I mean, I guess if they were really popular in the early 2000s. I mean, yeah, he was probably older then. I mean, he would have been in his, in 30s. his early 30s. Yeah. Um, well, he was living in Santa Barbara. He's now in jail. Um, yeah, this doesn't seem like it's a great situation for him. <laughs> uh, it just, I mean, to me, it just seems like a really interesting turn. Like, that's a, that's a total career pivot that I... <laughs> Right, like Nazi coming. I wonder what. Oh my gosh, he had like a million dollars in cash, not on him, but he was carrying over a hundred grand when he got arrested in there at the Hill and the Bill and Hillary Clinton Airport in Little Rock, Arkansas. Um, well, he built people out of twenty-seven million dollars. That's yeah. Oh boy, um, this a- is a very complicated operation too. Like they ran a call center. Mm-hmm. And this whole online thing, I yeah, this was not a this was not just a sketchy guy in a closet with like making calls to senior citizens trying to sell them a reverse mortgage or something. No, yeah. um, apparently when people would complain. They were told by the company that they needed to wait ninety days and then mail a refund request along with five copies of letters from property owners proving the homes were in fact not correctly listed. So that's, I, oh man. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, that's bad. It's so much money. Um, well, I hope it was worth it cause he sounds like he's probably going to prison for quite a long time. Yeah. So, like the possible sentences for their, uh, alleged crimes is like over 30 years. 30 years. Yeah. yeah. Huh. Um, yeah, that's just 
like the whole idea of this story to me is still like baffling. Yeah, why? I'm a, I'm a guitarist in a rock band, and now I'm going to get into real estate and then bilk people out of millions of dollars. Right? Like, was he super... I Yeah, I don't understand. I guess it's a... If you thought you could make all that much money and you're inclined to commit crimes anyway, like, why not? But it does seem like a weird thing to have done if he was doing well enough to be living in Santa Barbara and had been a member of a semi-famous band for a little while. Yeah, I don't know. Um, speaking of bands, uh, our second story of the three-minute warning is actually kind of an interesting story. Um, according to Kurt Decker and Michael yeah. Cimino, who are camera operators on at NBC, and I don't know if exclusively to um, the late night show or if they were just like camera operators mm-hmm. generally... Um, they were fired from NBC in sometime in 2017 for basically engaging in maybe harassment or discrimination. That's I'm assuming loosely that's what they were fired for. What had happened was um, a stagehand had texted Decker and Chimino um, like racist texts, pictures, and um, and I think one of the texts used the N word. At the time that they received these alleged checks, they were both like operating cameras and they did not respond to the text. And according to them, they went and told NBC executives like, hey, I'm getting these racist texts from stagehand over here. Um, and what happened next was that they were they were fired and they alleged that it, it was basically Questlove who was the one who spearheaded their firings. Questlove is the... Um, so the Roots are the house band for the Tonight Show, and Questlove is their drummer, um, and I would argue probably the most famous member of the band. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and so these guys have sued him um, by saying that they were discriminated against because they were fired because they were white, uh, which technically under the law, that's a possibility, um, but... It's certainly, I feel like there are facts missing here because on the one hand, it seems very odd to me that NBC would just fire two people who were on the receiving end of some terrible text messages, um, but didn't engage in them and immediately went to HR to complain and to Mm -hmm. kind of raise an issue. So that seems real fishy to me (laughs) that, um, that they were then, you know, summarily dismissed Mm -hmm. um, as a result of kind of being whistleblowers. Um, so yeah, I would love to, but at the same time, if there was some evidence of them engaging in wrongdoing, you would think they'd be smart enough not to file a lawsuit, but who knows? Um, so the other piece of evidence that they point to that, uh, Questlove was behind this is that the, uh, Roots bassist, Mark Kelly also received the text. I guess he was also on this text chain and he was not let go. Um, and they're saying that um, Kelly was able to keep his job, and he is African American, and where, whereas Decker and Chimino are not. What kind of asshole would send a racist text to African? Well, I guess I don't know. This is there are so many questions. <laughs> like, yeah, I feel like there are a lot more questions than answers at this point. Mm-hmm. Like, did the stagehand was he trying to like shame the bassist? And include a bunch of other people on the text chain. Or was it, were they friends and it was a joke and it 
somehow got to people who weren't in on the joke yeah. or something. I have no idea. Like it's Did the stagehand lose his job? It actually doesn't say, but I'm assuming that the stagehand did. Because the only person that they point out that didn't lose their job was the bassist for the Roots. Right. So yeah. maybe it's because he was the target of the abuse or... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. As so, you say, know. was just on sort of the bad receiving end of it and they chose not to fire. I, yeah. <sighs> so really, this this and the God. Brian Erlacher thing leaves us with more questions <laughs> than, um, than we have answers for at this point. Um, but I guess it's an interesting from a purely kind of procedural perspective, it's interesting to me that like the the idea that people could be acting as whistleblowers and then lose their jobs Mm -hmm. um, seems pretty troubling. And again, that assumes that the two plaintiffs in this case are telling the entire truth, which I'm not sure we should be making that assumption. Um, But it really would seem to disincentivize people from coming to talk to HR if um, they do receive something like this mm-hmm. um, and are not, you know, willing participants in the conversation, like, did they get a hold of their whole cell phone and find yes, that more disturbing things mm-hmm. on there? I mean, who knows? Yes, and that these individuals had engaged in back and forth right. previously, but just not this particular time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. So... Um, and you have an update from Reality TV Stoop. I do. It's been it's been a while because this incident occurred, uh, I think, on New Year's Eve. But Countess Luann, uh, who is a star of the Real Housewives of New York, was arrested in Palm Beach um, for drunk and disorderly conduct, wherein she went into... Apparently the story is she went, somehow got into the wrong hotel room, was so drunk she didn't realize she was in the wrong hotel room. Oh, so you're like riding Rosillo. Well, yeah, except <laughs> I'm wondering, like, when I go into a hotel room, and maybe it's because I, like, travel by myself a lot and don't want to get murdered, um, I put my, yes. dead, like, the deadbolt on and then the, the like, flippy locks mm-hmm. so that people can't get in. How the hell did she get in that room if it wasn't her hotel room? Like, do other people leave their door open? Am I just paranoid? I don't know. But yes, point is, she somehow got into a hotel room that did not belong to her. But she was so um, under the weather that she didn't realize that that's what was happening. And when the people who actually stayed there insisted she leave, she got pretty aggressive with them. They had to call the police, which I don't understand how hotel security wasn't able to deal with this, but whatever. The cops show up. She threatens to kill all of them and their families. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Which only a rich white lady could get away with and live to tell the tale. Um, Yeah, no kidding. So then she uh, is arrested. She's arraigned. um, And the judge, I think my favorite part of this story is when the judge told, basically said to her, like, I think you have a drinking problem. You should probably go to rehab. And she, I guess, was about to say something in response to that. And the judge is like, I'm going to stop you right there because it will not help you. Whatever you're about to say, like, just please keep your mouth shut. Um, so then she went to, I guess she was in rehab very briefly, but she's been subsequently seen in New York because a uh, husband of a former housewife, Jill Zarin, passed away. And oh, I believe Luann was seen at the funeral. Yeah. So I'm not sure how well her or how long her rehab is going on for. I think it's one of those like yoga rehabs where you just like sit and think about yourself and probably don't actually change your behavior. Um, but yeah, she's been, she's been charged. He, uh, the judge, I believe was a man. I can't remember the judge's name did say something to the effect of you better show up for your 
next hearing date because you're kind of famous so we could find you, which I don't know, I guess because she's a privileged asshole who might just not show up. So I don't know. But, you know, it was the anniversary of her, it would have been her first anniversary with her <laughs> husband, Tom D'Agostino, who she split up with after seven months. So she's just feeling sad, getting and, aggressive with other hotel guests. Um, and then threatening to kill, threatening all, to kill all the police, police and, and their, their families. families. Yeah. Yikes. So anyway, <laughs> that's, that's Countess Luann. Um, I'm not sure if it'll be covered on the next season of The Real Housewives of New York, um, which I don't actually know. That's probably starting up in the summer or something. So, but I would guess they're filming now. Are all of your Real Housewives um, in a hiatus period, or are they? Is no. there one going on? Okay. Beverly Hills and Atlanta. Atlanta is the real gem of the franchise. Those two are on now. New Jersey just wrapped up. Okay. Um, and we've talked a lot about New Jersey, so uh, I don't think there's been any additional criminal behavior. Although I guess the newest cast member, um, Margaret Josephs, she's a fashion designer and is apparently, they talked about this at the reunion, she's been sued by Vineyard Vines for stealing their whale emblem. Oh. But according to her, this happens all the time. Anytime somebody uses a whale, Vineyard Vines files a lawsuit. Yeah. I don't know that that's true, but... And I don't know very much about the fashion industry or trademark lawsuits, but it does seem like a lot of people, there are often lawsuits about like trademark infringement. Yeah, or at least cease and desist letters and things like that. Yeah. Right. So I want to say there was one where some company was using red bottom shoes, but it wasn't the Christian Louboutin red color um, or shade of red, mm -hmm. but there was nonetheless a lawsuit over that. So. Yeah, well, it's the whole point of um, trying to avoid confusion in the marketplace, right? Sure. Yes. Because who would know the difference? Yeah. I mean, if I was, like, just, like, glancing and seeing a red bottom, I would just assume that That's... was a Christian Louboutin shoe. Yeah. Um, breaking news. <laughs> While Burke was explaining the uh, shenanigans of Countess Luann, um, there was a story on Yahoo Sports that Brett Favre is being sued by a capital <laughs> management group for his role in a failed sports scientific social media network. So it's, what does that even mean? <laughs> so um, I don't even know what it's supposed to do because it never got off the ground. That's oh, why sure. he's being sued. So Favre joined the board of directors for Score Sports. Score is spelled S Q O R. Yes. <laughs> Um, I thought it was going to be spelled like the score bar. No, because that actually would have been acceptable to me, but no, it's S-Q-O-R. Um, he joined the board in 2013 and promised to use basically his um, social media leverage to catapult this um, website into the stratosphere. And this uh, capital management company invested like $16 million into it and is now suing Brett Favre because the website's gone and there's no app that was promised and it hasn't posted anything on social media in like seven months um, that it, uh, Brett Favre was negligent and misleading in his representation of what SCORE did and what SCORE could do. I, what kind of social media presence does he have? He's been retired yeah, for a know. very long time. I feel like all I'm aware of him doing is hanging out wherever he lives and like hunting and fishing uh and he sells like oh, wrangler jeans oh right? wrangler jeans and like the pieces of clothing that has copper in it for people with arthritis oh, or something sure yeah um 
Yeah. So, hmm. anyways, that was that was just in the news. So, well, that's a real bummer for him. <laughs> He's gonna have to sell a lot of pairs of Wrangler jeans to make up for that could, multi-million dollar lawsuit. If could he be, I mean, well, I guess this is just a breaking news story. Like, what what did he promise he would do other than using his wonderful social media presence to? Um, I believe one of the things that he said or the board indicated that they projected earnings in 2018 to be uh, $44 million. Huh. Yeah. And they um, made false claims about its user base and social reach, which... Well, well, that's problematic. I mean, who... What... Why would you get into this type of business with Brett Favre anyway? Yeah, I don't know. Um, I mean, Brett Favre might just be one of many people who engaged in this, but he's the most famous one, so... Um, I guess that's true. It just seems like he's not so, you know, Tom Brady right now, and this is not something... I don't actually think there's a legal angle here, so it's probably one of the reasons we haven't talked about it, but, you know, Tom Brady has started this company with his trainer, (laughs) uh, (laughs) Alex Guerrero, um, but like, that's something he's known for. I don't feel like Brett Favre had during his playing days, a reputation as somebody who was like using science to evaluate his performance or oh. whatever. So this seems mm-hmm. to have like kind of come out of nowhere with a retired player. So like, why would you have gotten into this particular business with him anyway? But I don't know. I thought you were going to say not particularly known for his social media savvy. And, oh, well, like, yeah, his, no. His texting abilities, but I'm glad you didn't go there. No. It's uh. Just, you can Google that if you... <laughs> um, so that's it from us this time around. And... I think that it would be fair to say that uh, one of our resolutions for this year would be to get ourselves some theme music. I know. we we got to work on that. Yeah. Sorry, folks. It's coming. But thank you for listening to us in spite of <laughs> our, our technical struggles. So um, if you want to check us out on Instagram or Twitter, our handle is UFR underscore BG. You can also email us at under further review dot bg at gmail.com or check out our website which we probably should commit to um, updating more often under further review dash bg.com so thanks so much for listening oh also if you could rate and review us on itunes <laughs> that would be awesome i don't know if we're still having technical difficulties but um we appreciate the effort and uh yeah i think that's it we'll be back with you um probably next week thanks thanks mm-hmm.